In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. As we move through the seasons of the church each year, we experience the same story from a new perspective. It's a contemplative exercise. Different aspects of the story grab our attention as we see things more clearly and in a new way. One thing that has stood out to me this year is how disruptive the incarnation and revelation of Jesus were to the people involved. It began with the Annunciation, a glorious event that left Mary pregnant and unwed. It wasn't any easier for Joseph, who was told to marry his pregnant fiancée, even though he knew the child wasn't his. This made life difficult for both of them, especially back in the first century. Epiphany continues this theme. Christ is revealed to the Magi, who announced to Herod the birth of the king of the Jews. This is not received as good news by Herod, who had killed people and paid money to obtain the title king of the Jews. He knew what to do with rivals. Thus, the Holy Family was forced to flee from Bethlehem to Egypt as fugitives. Just to clarify the difficulty of these on foot and donkey trips, first from Nazareth to Bethlehem, about 70 miles, and then from Bethlehem to Egypt, perhaps 300 miles, these would put to shame any of our travel complaints about the airlines, traffic, or gas prices. And then we come to the gospel for the Sunday after the Epiphany. The 12-year-old Jesus makes a unilateral decision to hang out in Jerusalem after the Passover for an extra day or three, even though his family had begun the trip home with the Nazareth-bound caravan. That's an extra 30 miles on foot for Mary and Joseph. Think about walking from St. Matthew's to Disneyland and back. And to add to the aggravation, Mary's anger gets no validating response, no humbled child acknowledging the parental pain he caused. Jesus was surprised that she was worried and angry. Didn't she know he had to be doing what his father wanted him to do? Epiphany season focuses on the ways Christ is revealed to people in the Bible. The biblical epiphanies are models for understanding how Christ is revealed to us. And these biblical patterns suggest that some of our epiphanies will be disruptive. The point is not merely that God likes to mess things up, although one wonders at times, the point of disruptive epiphanies is rooted in the mission of the Son of God. He came to conquer Satan, the world, sin, and death. And these enemies do not go down without a fight. The Bible reveals that the flight to Egypt and the death of the holy innocents was part of the larger cosmic battle 
as Revelation 12.4 tells us, the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. This suggests that we who have become God's children in Christ will also experience some opposition from what St. Paul refers to as the rulers of the darkness of this age. See Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. However, much of the disruptiveness of Christ's presence results from God not acting according to our expectations. Today's gospel illustrates this. The Son of God humbled himself to be born of a virgin. However, he did not cease to be the Son of God. He did not consent to meeting the virgin's every expectation. Likewise, Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. However, he does not consent to doing what we expect all the time. Sometimes his presence will make us angry and bothered, like Mary. Meanwhile, Jesus will be about doing his Father's work in our lives, even when we have no idea what he is doing. There are essentially two ways we can deal with disruptive epiphanies. The first is to evaluate God's work on the basis of our expectations. We have a plan for our lives, for what we believe will make us happy. And we develop the subtle belief that God will bless our plan. We don't say in so many words that we think we need these things to be happy and we think God's going to give it to us. Rather, our expectations exist in unspoken, implicit assumptions and aspirations. Then something disruptive happens that we don't expect. If we hold on to the perspective that expects God to follow our plan, the disruption can lead to anger and disappointment with God. And these can stew into deep discontentment and eventually begin to undermine genuine faith. The other way to process disruptions is epitomized by Mary in the Gospel. Even though she was upset and didn't understand, St. Luke tells us that his mother kept all these things in her heart. Mary reflected on what had happened as one who sought to understand. She became a contemplative. She asked, what does this mean? When we experience unexpected and undesired disruptions, it is our vocation to ponder these things in our hearts, to ask, what is God doing here? This is often a multi-year process of prayer. The meaning of stories can only be discerned over time as the story unfolds. This contemplative exercise does not eliminate sadness, anger, or disappointment. 
acknowledging these emotions and expressing them in our prayer is a legitimate and essential part of the Christian life. The Psalms that we pray daily give us a language precisely for expressing these emotions. Our experience of legitimate emotions does not mean that we lack faith. The virtues of faith, hope, and love that are planted within us by the Holy Spirit coexist with temporal emotions of anger and sadness. We can be sad and joyful at the same time. The sadness is a temporary emotion associated with the temporal circumstance. The joy is an eternal emotion associated with the presence of Emmanuel in our hearts. This is the true meaning of Emmanuel, God with us. His presence means that we possess a life and a joy that transcends every temporal thing. This is very important for the spiritual life. In our culture, legitimate emotions of sadness or disappointment are often pushed aside. Church culture often requires people to be upbeat and positive always. The absence of a smiling, happy face can be falsely seen as a lack of faith. However, the pursuit of understanding in prayer in difficult seasons does not mean pretending that you're not sad or disappointed. It means that in the midst of your sadness and disappointment, you still believe that Jesus is Lord and you still believe that he is working in all things for good, even though you don't quite see how yet. Jesus promised us that faithful seeking will lead us to understanding. He said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened unto you. For everyone who asks receives, And he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. This promise is linked to the corresponding teaching that genuine faith is characterized by perseverance in prayer. We must ask and seek and knock until we get an answer. For example, Job continued to hold on to his faith and also continued to be honest about how he felt. Job's perseverance in prayer and honesty resulted in one of the Bible's great epiphanies. See Job chapter 38 through 42. We need disruptive epiphanies because we are too attached to this world and to the happiness it offers us. We need to be reminded that nothing here lasts. Disruptive epiphanies teach us the lesson expressed in today's epistle where St. Paul exhorts us, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds 
that you may prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. Because we need to develop the virtue of detachment, disruptive epiphanies are part of God's mercy towards us. As we hold on to Jesus in the midst of the disruptions, we grow in our detachment from the world and what it offers to us. And we grow in our attachment to Christ and to the interior joy and peace his presence brings. Thus, our perseverance in prayer produces a growing epiphany. As Jesus said in John 16:33, these things I have spoken unto you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have conquered the world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.